In this Christmas tide, the message for this day, the first Sunday after Christmas, rises up out of that gospel reading from Matthew chapter 2. It is always a joy to celebrate that free gift of grace and forgiveness that comes from the Lord's hand in holy baptism. It is our joy to celebrate that with Ryan Halston today. I hope you all enjoyed a very happy and blessed Christmas celebration. Uh, I want to show you a picture of what happened at my house there in the midst of the manger scene. Um, there was uh, a new animal, not an ox, not a donkey, who jumped up to be in the manger. It's one of my daughter's cats who uh, got up there, and uh, I, baby Jesus is still okay. Just want to make that clear. Well, the world around us has already moved on from Christmas, right? Post-Christmas sales and shoppings, plans, preparations for New Year's Eve. But in the life of the church, the body of Christ, we continue to celebrate the gift of Jesus, the Word made flesh, in these 12 days of Christmas that will culminate next weekend on the Feast of the Epiphany, the coming of the wise men and Jesus' revelation to the first Gentiles. Well, lots of folks are traveling over this Christmas holiday to join loved ones. Maybe you've done some of that. Maybe you've had people who have joined you yourselves. And so uh, whether we travel by car or train or bus or plane, you know how the drill goes, right? You uh, make your plans, you buy your tickets, you pack your bags, and away you go. The old phrase puts it, it's wonderful to get away, but it's wonderful to come back home again. But it's something different altogether when you're not planning on doing any traveling, but you have to anyway, sometimes on a moment's notice. You probably know what this looks like in your own life, whether from a work requirement or from a family need. We jump into action. You get that phone call, that text message alerting you to an emergency situation. That happens in life. And when it happens, things move pretty fast. We have to make some quick decisions. We have to rely on the kindness of neighbors and friends to help in a pinch, throw some clothes in a bag, and head out the door. That's what we do for the sake of those we love in time of need. And such is the case with Joseph in today's Gospel reading, who is called to take Mary and Jesus and flee and the message for today on this first Sunday after Christmas based on that gospel lesson is entitled Holiday Travel. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching, the hearing, and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. So today's gospel lesson is unique to Matthew's account of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's not found in Mark, not found in Luke, not found in John. And here, Joseph is warned in a dream to take his little family and leave. In fact, go all the way to Egypt, a distance 
of at least 350 miles, give or take. We don't know exactly because Scripture doesn't tell us exactly where in Egypt Joseph and his family ended up relocating to. And you wonder, how long did it take them to get there? Well, if the Holy Family were able on average to walk, let's say, 20 miles a day, and probably not even that much, because they were traveling with a little one, it would have taken them the better part <clears throat> of two weeks, if not longer, to get there. That's a long trip done under not great circumstances. But we're told Joseph did not hesitate. He responded immediately in obedience to that message from the angel of the Lord. He gathered up his wife, his child, his few belongings, and left at night. And this gives us some insight into Joseph, who he is, his character, his willingness to listen and obey. And this is but the first in a longer series of other trips that his family would be obliged to make. So this is how Jesus' young life begins on the road, not for holiday travel, but for the sake of survival. And it's interesting to note that the original word used by Matthew here in verse 13 for flee is the word fuga, where we get that musical term fugue. A fugue is a musical composition that begins with one part and then gets taken up by other parts in sort of an interweaving manner such as box, toccata, and fugue in D minor. The tempo of a fugue often gets accelerated, making it sound like someone or something is fleeing away. Well, the angel messenger who had appeared to Mary and to Joseph, who appeared also to the angels on that first Christmas night, now appears again to Joseph in a dream, calling him into action. I love this image because if you look closely, you can see all of Joseph's carpenter tools arrayed on the wall and laying on the floor. That's what we're told he was as a carpenter. So following the visit of those mysterious visitors from the East, the Magi, the wise men, their extravagant gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, more about that next weekend when we celebrate Epiphany, the Holy Family flees to Egypt to escape Herod's murderous wrath in killing all the male children two years old and under in and around Bethlehem. And that day is still remembered in the life of the church called the Feast of the Holy Innocents. It was only yesterday, December 28th, the first Martyrs for Christ. And in fleeing to Egypt, it may well be that the wise men's gifts 
help the Holy Family to make their way and pay for living expenses, then, as now, to travel costs money, and they were poor people. Well, Matthew's Gospel is the only one that includes this unique part of Jesus' birth narrative. Matthew's Gospel was originally written for a Jewish audience, and Matthew pointed them to that promised Messiah found in the law, in the prophets, in the writings, what we call the Old Testament, now gloriously fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. And so Matthew frequently inserts passages from the law, from the prophets, from the writings into his gospel narrative as he has done in today's gospel lesson. And that verse that we read about, out of Egypt have I called my son, was originally part of the prophecy of Hosea, called to marry a prostitute, to illustrate Israel's unfaithfulness in their relationship with the Lord. The Lord recounting, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt have I called my son. But now it finds a greater fulfillment in the Son of God who fled to Egypt and came forth to break the power of sin and death and hell through his suffering and death upon the cross. You see, the wood of Jesus' crib would lead to the wood of Jesus' cross, the shadow of the cross always hanging over Jesus, beginning from his very birth. You see, he was born to die for you and for me and for all people to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Herod's paranoia his, his fear, his irrational fear that led to the slaughter of innocent children becomes the fulfillment of another Old Testament passage from the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Ramah believed to be a tribe descended from Rachel, absorbed into the tribe of Judah. There were a number of villages called Ramah in the Holy Land, but this one believed to be located on the road from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, where Rachel herself, Jacob's wife, was buried after dying in childbirth. So inspired by the Holy Spirit, the prophet Jeremiah speaks of Rachel weeping for her children as those who would go off into exile under Babylonian conquest. That's cause for weeping. But now, greater fulfillment comes about with weeping in that same area 
following the slaughter of Bethlehem's male children under another ruthless regime. And what have we learned over the centuries? Tyrants still rule and rage. Mothers still weep for their children who become collateral damage in warfare. Families are still forced to flee their homes in order to escape certain death. What have we learned across the generations? And yet in the midst of all of this, the Lord Jesus is kept safe so that he might give his life at a later point. The angel messenger then appears once again to Joseph in Egypt, alerting him that Herod is now dead and that it's safe to return home. Once again, in willing obedience, Joseph uproots his family to make that long trip back to the land of Israel. But, as is often the case, the children of tyrants are often worse tyrants than their very parents, and such is the case with Herod's son Archelaus, now ruling in Judea. Other sources tell us because of his brutality and his cruelty, Archelaus himself was deposed and exiled. He was, in fact, that bad. Seek semper tyrannis, thus always to tyrants. So rather than live under Archelaus, Joseph relocates his family up north, back to the hometown of Nazareth. And again, Matthew draws upon Old Testament to see in Jesus the fulfillment of God's word. He shall be called a Nazarene. But Nazareth isn't even mentioned at all once in the Old Testament. Matthew's reference here is not to one specific passage, but to all of the Old Testament passages in general. So because Nazareth was a nobody and a nothing place, someone coming from Nazareth would be considered a nobody, a nothing. And this is what Jesus' ministry was all about. Emptying himself, becoming nothing, giving his life on the tree of the cross so that you and I might be lifted up to become children of hope and promise. All this from the wood of his crib to the wood of his cross. This is who Jesus is, the Nazarene, the Savior. So in this holiday season, in the midst of whatever holiday travels we may have near or far, let us also, in heart and mind, go even unto Bethlehem and see this great thing which has come to pass which the Lord has made known, the infant lying in the manger.
Jesus, the Word made flesh. Amen. And the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. Your spirit, your soul, and your body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.